I'm in the Unstoppable series. It's a sermon series out of the book of Joshua. And today we're talking about the man named Achan. And I've called the sermon, Are You Achan for a Shaken? Now that's a little bit of a unique title, but it comes from an experience that I had on a regular basis with my dad, who used to be a boxer in the armed services. And he would playfully uh, act like he was boxing with me and we were sparring when I was a little guy. And he'd say things like, are you aching for a shaking? Are you cruising for a bruising? Come on. And then, and then we would spar and have fun. And I couldn't help but think of it when I saw the name of this man here. The I-I-I, be careful, is not intercultural uh, um, attempts here. That is the name of the city where trouble, where trouble was. And so we're looking at a guy who got himself in trouble because of his behavior and everybody else as well. His name was Achan, and in Hebrew, his name means trouble. He caused it for himself. He caused it for others. It's a lesson for us all as well, and we need to answer the question with our own behavior. Are we aching for a shaking or cruising for a bruising? Let's look at number one. And today, I don't have three points for you. I've never done this before, but I have three questions for you as we look at this story. And here's the first question. What part of be careful don't you understand? Joshua 1.8, it's how the book started out. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The words, be careful, were there. That's how the children of Israel started, how Joshua started. We talked about the battle of Jericho last week. And in Joshua 6.19, here's some more words about caution. The verse says, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. So the walls fall down, the people rush in, they take the city, they take the silver and the gold and all those artifacts, and they're supposed to keep them for the treasury of the Lord. But one guy named Achan, whose name means trouble, took them for himself and he hid them. Joshua 7.1, we see the Lord speak, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. There's a passage in Numbers 3.23, most of your versions of the Bible, or some of them at least, say, be sure your sin will find you out. But in the Living Bible, it says this, but if you don't do as you said, then you have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will catch up to you. We live in a day in America where my personal belief is that we've We've overemphasized the doctrine of grace in a permissive way. So we've talked to people uh, about God's grace in such a way that made them feel that they could sin and go into bad behaviors and God loved them and it wouldn't be a problem. Well, God loves you and God will forgive you, but there are still consequences for sin in this life. I wonder if part of the reason America is falling behind in this area is because preachers like me don't say enough be careful. We're not willing to hold the standard up uh, in the areas of sexual morality or otherwise, and people are losing it because we won't speak it. The Bible says if we cast off, uh, where there's no revelation, the people will cast off restraint. Sin will catch up to you and hurt you in this life, even if you really love Jesus. The Minnesota police Say they were able to arrest a man after he committed a dumb act that led them right to him. The 26-year-old Nicholas Wig was his name. 
broke into a home, stole several things, but sat down to open his Facebook before he left and forgot to log out. So when someone came home and found their items stolen, opened their Facebook, they saw his name there, and the police arrested him shortly after. Dumb crime. In Palo Alto, California, police said one of the largest methamphetamine busts in U.S. history took place. They solved a case by tracking a stolen iPad to an apartment where there were $35 million of drugs in the apartment. It begs the question, if you have $35 million in drugs, why do you need to steal an iPad? But they found him by checking the locator on the iPad, and those people were arrested. Those are dumb crimes, but our sin, if you'll forgive me for just a moment, is just as stupid. It's dumb. Because we face consequences for our sin, just like everybody else will. In his book, Boy Meets Girl, Joshua Harris wrote about a missionary who gave in to sexual temptation before he was married. He was a virgin in his 30s and two months away from getting married. And one night, inflamed by lust and tired of resisting temptation, he made his way to the red light district of the city and the bed of a prostitute. Only once, just 15 minutes in a dark, dingy room, a moment of indulgence in years of work for God but he left infected with the disease called AIDS. And two months later, he unwittingly infected his bride who had waited so patiently for him. God loves us, but consequences for our sins still come to us. Joshua Harris tells another story about 22-year-old Michelle who was saving her virginity for her husband. She was working as a model when she met an attractive man who was determined to deflower her. She toyed with him, loving the attention. Then one day on his apartment couch, she gave into his advances only once, less than an hour, a stolen pleasure. Now he's gone and she's a single mom struggling to care for her fatherless two-year-old daughter. The truth is God loves us so much that he'll put his boundaries out there to protect us. And sometimes we move into sin and then when consequences come, we say, God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? And I think God would say to us, where are you? I have a covering here. I've shown you the boundaries, and you decided to run beyond them into a place that I cannot bless, that I cannot cover. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. Second question this morning. So is God mean, or is it that we're hurting ourselves? Joshua 7, picking that story up again, verse 4. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. So this is the wicked city of Ai, and the people of God are losing the battle because of Achan's sin. And the 36 that died are pretty much a testimony to the fact that not only does our sin hurt us, but it hurts others around us. It hurts our family. It hurts our loved ones. And it's trouble for those that are close to us. It says the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. 
Verse 15 says, as they were starting to identify, the Lord put his finger on it. The one who has stolen what was set apart from your destruction will himself be burned with fire. So God said, it's Achan who's stolen. Achan stepped up and said, yes, it was me. And God says, thank God it's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, not the New Covenant. God had, had them kill him to get rid of the sin there, along with everything he had. For he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. Now, we pay consequences for our sin, but we have the grace of God offering us help. It offers forgiveness, and the grace of God offers the ability to overcome. Now, I want to tell you something about sin. It seems to me that Christians believe we have no power at all to overcome when it, when it comes to our behavior these days. And really, it's a lack of taking responsibility for our actions. I know people who aren't Christians, who are alcoholics, and got delivered because they had enough willpower that they didn't want to do it anymore. They knew they were hurting their loved ones and hurting themselves, and they weren't even Christians, and they never drank again for the rest of their lives. People who have a strong will can beat sin even without God at times. Why is it that the people of God, who not only can have a strong will, but can have the power of God helping them to overcome, why is it we're acting like we can't overcome when God's there to help us? Titus 2, 11, 12 says this, The grace of God that leads to salvation teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. Wow. So maybe there's a little bit more to grace than the church has been teaching through the years. Grace not only forgives, it's more powerful than that. The grace of God enables us to overcome. Remember the old missionary saying, by the grace of God we overcame? There's that enabling portion of God's grace, His Spirit, that helps us to overcome. We need to know that we can move away from it. We should repent and move away. We're out of His covering when we move into sin, and God would say, come back and let me love you, let me protect you. I don't want you to be hurt. He's not trying to take away your fun. He's trying to keep you from pain. Proverbs 12, 31. Listen to it. Trouble chases sinners, while blessings reward the righteous. John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. When we're living in sin, God can't hear our prayers unless they're prayers of repentance. It's, there's that trouble with connection that goes along. He hears it, but he doesn't listen, it says. Romans 2, 9. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who, does, who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So trouble is spoken of in the word when we turn away from the truth of God. I like what Gary Thomas said in his book, Seeking the Face of God. The most dangerous Christians are those who've forgotten their tendency to sin and Satan's agenda to capitalize on that tendency. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He knows our weakness. Every one of us has a different weak spot. And the enemy knows that. And he'll hit us there. According to, <clears throat> excuse me, Gallup polls and sociologists, one of the greatest scandals of our day is that evangelical Christians are just as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, and self-centered, as well as sexually immoral. Just as likely, Christians are just as likely as the world to move into these sins. The percentages are the same. And I'm just here to say, Church of Jesus, this should not be. We have the word of God. We have the love of God that's forgiven us. The word of God to bless us, 
and to protect us. According to the 2014 State of Dating in America report, listen to these statistics, published by Christian Mingle and JDate, those are Christian websites for singles, 61% of Christians <clears throat> said they would have sex before marriage. 56% said that it's appropriate to move in with someone after dating. These are, these are statistics from Christian singles websites. 56% it's appropriate to move in with someone after dating for a time between six months and two years. 34% responded <clears throat> that while it would be nice to marry someone of the same faith, it's not required. We can't be reading the word of God and taking it seriously if we're, if we're doing, if our minds are moving to these places where we're compromising in these areas. Listen to the word of God in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Let there be no sexual immorality. It doesn't say let there be little. It says let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Titus 2.12, and we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Now, I know that this story in Joshua, that the sin of Achan was more of, uh, of, uh, of the theft of the stealing, and, and, and probably, uh, probably a, a sermon on tithe would be more appropriate today, because the Bible says in Malachi, will a man rob God? And that's the way we can do it, by keeping the tithe from him these days. But I felt the Lord wanted me to take it because it's all sin that hinders us and there was sin hindering Acre. I felt that the Lord wanted, wanted us to concentrate on some things that our culture is struggling with today that Christians are starting to believe that's not in the word of God at all. One of them would be their attitude towards cohabitation or living together before marriage. Here's an article called Four Lies Culture Tells Us About Living Together Before Marriage. It was written in 2014. It's on the screen for you. Picking it up in the middle of the article, it says, neither is cohabitation limited to non-Christians. According to the Barna Group, 37% of cohabitors profess to be Christians, nearly 4 out of 10. And the recent polls indicate that 49% of youth between the ages of 13, uh, 13 and 17 who've attended church in the last week approve of cohabitation. So these are very recent statistics, 2014, and our, and our teenagers think it's okay now. Nearly half of them. Culture promotes moving in together as the most logical step in a relationship. That's what they're telling us. You know, you got you to try it out. You know, you got to drive the car before you buy it. That's, that's the philosophy that's pervasive. And it's meant to be funny and kind of cute, but it's not that funny when you look at the consequences of it. 1 Corinthians 5. Now, I inserted this. It wasn't in the article. But let's look at what the word says. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or are cheats, people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Now check this out. Don't avoid with people in sexual sin. And here's what he's talking about. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy, or, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. If you're dating a man or a woman who's trying to, and calls themselves a, a Christian, and they're putting sexual pressure on you, the Bible says, don't even associate with them. 
Get away from them. Don't even eat with them, which is what happens on a lot of dates. They, they, really, they, they really don't care that much about you if they're trying to get you to violate God's word. I think today, often we think of sinning sexually in, in, in a context that, to keep it from happening that we don't want to sin against our spouse that we're going to marry later or we don't want to sin against our spouse now. And that's admirable, but it's not the best reason. The best reason we don't want to sin is the reason Joseph gave when that woman pursued him and he said, how could I do this to my God? God who loved me, Jesus who's given his life for me, who died for my sins, he's already told me that these ways are wrong, that they'll hurt others, that they'll hurt me, but it hurts his heart. Another article published in 2014, so these again are current statistics from a Christian um, magazine, the title was 1 Corinthians 7, Abstinence, Celibacy, Cohabitation, and Marriage. And it says, living together before marriage is widely practiced today and is a dismal failure. So why would God tell us not to do this? Is he trying to keep us from having fun? No, he's trying to keep us from having pain. Listen, cohabitation before marriage has been openly practiced in America for some 30 years now. And it's been studied and surveyed in every conceivable way. The exact figures vary somewhat, which is expected due to the different demographics of the studies. The overall results, however, are the same. Most studies show that 20 to 25% of those who cohabitate or who cohabit go on to marry the one that they're with at the time. So less than one out of four. If they do marry, they're almost twice as likely to divorce. Not surprisingly, studies show that when couples living together were interviewed apart, the woman usually said they were in love and were going to be married, while the man said they were not. The number one reason men surveyed said they were living with the woman was the availability of sex. Studies done on marital happiness showed that couples who lived together before marriage were less fulfilled in their marriages than couples who did not. So it's not surprising that studies also show that people who cohabited before marriage are more likely to commit adultery after they're married. Women who engaged in sex before marriage are more than twice as likely to commit adultery than those who did not. Furthermore, surveys indicate that if a couple had sex before marriage, they were 29 to 47% less likely to enjoy sex after marriage than people who abstained until they were married. Part of that is it's security-based. And if the security wasn't there before, if you broke God's law before the marriage, then you're not quite as secure that, that your spouse that you've married now will be faithful after marriage. Goes on to say, rates of domestic violence are double for couples living together without being married, with, of course, the woman being the one hurt most of the time. Also, studies show that women end up paying 70% of the expenses when the couple's not married. Women usually spend their money on the relationship while men spend their money on themselves and things they want. Men sound bad here, don't they? <clears throat> One sociologist who figured the percentages concluded that three couples out of a hundred, now this is startling, three couples out of a hundred who cohabitate have a successful marriage. Not good odds, the writer of the article says. One does not need to have the Bible say that living together before marriage is a bad idea. The statistics make it quite clear. 
So God says in Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. Why are we misled? Well, we watch a lot of TV. We watch a lot of movies. It's hitting at the morals. It's breaking us down. It's making us think it's normal. We have people at work who tell us that, that, that we're Victorian. We have all these things. But God says, with the onslaught that's going on, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. People say, well, when's that abundant life kick in? The Bible talks about abundant life. I'm telling you, there's a direct correlation between the abundant life feeling good and life going well and our obedience to the truth of God's Word. There's a direct correlation. So they deal with Achan. They bring him forward and say, did you steal this? Verse 13, get up, commanded, get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. And I, I want to say it with love. I don't want to be mean-spirited in any way because God is not. He's loving. He's trying to protect us. But the last part of that verse, you'll never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you, is really dealing with repentance. And so much of what Christians are starting to believe these days excludes repentance. Here's repentance. I, this is the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. I repent. I call it bad. I say, God, forgive me. So it's not just a confession, but repentance is to turn and to go the other way. Repentance is all through the Bible. And yet Christians are now saying, not necessary. Jesus preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Repentance is all through the Bible. To, you, 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 you have to cut out way too much of the Bible to remove repentance. It's not going to work. So we need to ask for God's forgiveness. We need to receive his grace and enablement to overcome. And we need to believe him. I like what Crystal Michelle, a 10th grader, has created some answers for when boys are trying to pressure her sexually. This is from a 10th grader. Crystal says, when he says to me, real men are sexually active, then I say to him, so is my real dog. <laughs> if he says, you love me, if you love me, you'd let me, she'll say, if you love me, you wouldn't ask. If he says, but I want to, she'll say, but I don't. If he says, everybody's doing it, she'll say, not true, I'm somebody, and I'm not doing it. If he asks, don't you love me, she'll say, yeah, but I love God more. If he says, I won't get you pregnant, she says, that's right, because you aren't going to touch me. <laughs> if he says, if you won't let me, I'll find someone who will, she'll say, it's been nice knowing you. I'll tell you how to lose 170 pounds, ladies. Drop that guy right now, Okay. <laughs> And finally, if he says, but you owe me, she'll say, okay, I'll get you a keychain then. <laughs> Third thought today. Do you believe that character counts? This is a question for our day, for our generation, for our age. Joshua 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack I. 
For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You'll destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. So here they've dealt with it. They've dealt with the sin in the camp. And now Joshua comes before after this heart of repentance. And God says, okay, I'm going to be with you. I like what D.L. Moody said. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. He promises if we'll follow his ways that he'll bring blessings and success to us. It's true. It's just absolutely true. Joshua 8, verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, point the spear in your hand toward I. That's the wicked city. For I will hand the town over to you. Joshua did as he was commanded. As soon as Joshua gave the signal, all the men in ambush jumped up from their position and poured into the town. They quickly captured it and set it on fire. So they they repent of the sin, remove it from among them. And God gives his promise again and they go forward and they have success. I think it's important to note that Achan's sin caused Israel their only defeat in the land of Canaan. They have all these battles. They had Jericho, and then they had all these, these battles afterwards. Many, many more that happened in the book of Joshua. And the only one they lost was because sin was in the camp. It also must mean that they learned the lesson pretty well that day. That to honor the Lord with their lives was key to having that success, to being careful, to believing His goodness and His love and His blessing were there for us. They learned from the experience. I like what Henry Ford once said. He said, a mistake is an opportunity to, be, to try that again, a mistake is an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. God forgives. God loves. God will help us as we go towards him in the future. I have a friend who has a minister, a pastor, committed adultery many years ago. I tried to call him and to hang in there with him because I, I loved him. I love him. And because he wanted to move into the sinful lifestyle, he wouldn't talk to me for a long season. I remember a day I felt the Lord gave me a word. Now remember, we're, we're really good friends. And I called his home, and he wouldn't answer, so I left something on his machine. I felt the Lord had given it to me in my heart. I felt an urgency. So I said this. I believe the Lord is saying, if you turn back now, he will spare you much pain in the future. That his grace is there for you, only ask for his forgiveness and move away from this relationship. My friend said he was there, but he didn't answer the phone. And what he had in his hand that he was drinking, he threw it against the wall in anger. And he did not turn. Along the way, shortly after, he got divorced from his wife. He was alienated from his children, got in trouble with the courts, and had all kinds of pain. Fast forward about 25 years. I saw him on my sabbatical this summer. My wife and I met with him and his new wife. And here's what's happened. He's asked God to forgive him. He turned towards the Lord several years ago. 
And the Lord forgave him and mended his relationship. But I just want to say this. Remember this about sin. God will forgive you, but you still suffer loss in life from it. You still have pain. He had tremendous pain because of his sin. And yet, when he turned, the Lord forgave him. And the Lord loved him. And the Lord embraced him. And the Lord brought a wife who loved God as well. They're serving the Lord together. He's reunited in his relationships with his kids, and he's doing well, and I'm so proud of him. See, God's not coming to condemn anybody. He's just trying to keep us from having trouble. He's just trying to keep us from having pain. And he speaks with the heart of love and says, won't you trust me? I want to give you the best life possible. Ephesians 2, 3 shows how his grace is towards us. says this, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved.